Galatians, or sorry, Ephesians chapter 4 tonight. We don't have a handout, but this is kind of an addendum to the lesson that we were doing last week. Last week we looked at the Holy Spirit. In particular, we looked at His life, uh, work in our lives as far as when we got saved, how He sealed us, He indwelt us. We talked about walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit of God, and how He comforts us and teaches us. So His ministry in us and His ministry to us is basically what we covered. But I kind of felt like it was missing some other elements about the Holy Spirit. And so tonight we're just going to look at a few things out of Ephesians chapter 4 about His ministry to the church as a whole. Now He does that. The church, of course, is made up of people, right? Born-again believers, baptized, and members of the local church. But we're saved by the Holy Spirit of God regenerating in our lives. And so there is a ministry to the church as a whole through those believers. And I want to look at that tonight in Galatians chapter 4 and how important it is how we can... Uh, we, we, read, we read scriptures like uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, grieve not the Spirit. We're not to grieve the Spirit of God. Well, how do we do that? So how, if God is God and He is sovereign, how, how could we ever throttle back the work of God? But the Bible says just because of our sin, we can grieve the Spirit of God. And he, he chooses not to work. We see there was times when the Lord Jesus Christ was on the earth before He sent His Spirit in its fullness that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, did not do many works there because of their unbelief. And so there is a relationship or a harmony, if you will, between God and man. And it's not saying that God is not able. Or God can do whatever He wants whenever He wants. But it's saying that God chooses to work in harmony at times with our faith and our level of belief. And so the Holy Spirit is much like that. And it's important that we understand that we don't sin against Him or grieve Him or vex Him, but we want to see Him work in our lives. And one of the things we'll notice tonight, uh, the, Bible, the Bible says that uh, we are to be very careful how we uh, behave, uh, that we might keep the unity of the Spirit. Keep the unity of the Spirit. So let's read tonight, and we'll, we'll get to that verse in just a moment. Verse four, Chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus, the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vaca- vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You notice the word spirit there is capitalized. It's capital S, and the, uh, it's referring to the Holy Spirit of God. The Greek word is the word pneuma, or the spirit. And so, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, how is he in us all? He's in us all by His Spirit. We have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. Verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore He saith, when He ascended up on high, He led captivity captives, captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Now He that ascended, uh, what is it but that He also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, 
for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Spirit of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the nature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now we're only going to look to about verse 12 tonight, but I didn't stop reading there because the sentence starts all the way back in verse 10 and goes right through verse 16. So I wanted to finish that sentence, but we're going to look through verses 1 through 12 tonight. But I want you to notice in particular verse 3. It's important that we understand the context here. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's a couple things that come to mind very quickly. Number one, the Spirit desires unity among the body of Christ and His local church. He wants us to be unified. He reinforces that thought later on when he said there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We have one spirit in verse 4, one body and one spirit. We are united as a body because of the same spirit of Christ. That doesn't mean we are all the same, but we are united by the same thing. If you think about a family, a physical family, we are united by blood. We are united by genes. We're united by certain characteristic traits. How many of you have ever said something and you heard your father's or your mother's voice come out of your mouth. I remember when they said that, or I remember when they acted like that, and, and uh, I, I've become my parents. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I see my dad. My dad had a droopy left eye just like I do, and, it, and I see that when I'm tired, it droops just like his did. And I look and I see that, and I go, wow. And so we're, we're united by blood, we're united by characteristics. We often have similar tastes as a result. If you were to look into our family, my brother will sit down at Thanksgiving dinner and he'll eat the same. My mom will have 10 dishes out there. She'll have everything you can imagine. He'll eat the same three as my dad ate, nothing more. It's always turkey, mashed potatoes, and corn niblets, and that's it. I'm not having the broccoli casserole. I'm not having the green bean casserole. I don't want anything to do with squash. That was my dad. And weight is exactly the same. But you put a pie out there, it don't matter what you put in that pie, he'll eat it. You can put the broccoli in a pie. If it's in a pie, he'll eat it. And that was my dad. And so they have the very same taste. Me, I'm, I'm a Thompson. I eat everything. You put it in front of me, I like it. And uh, you don't get a body like this being picky, right? And, and so I'm like my mom. I just, I'll eat anything you put in front of me. And so those, those blood traits, and, and you, you, you know what I mean. You, you're, some of you are like your parents. You have children like you. The Bible says that that unifying factor in the church is the Spirit of God. So we come from every nation, creed, and tongue, and one day in heaven we'll all be one. But for now on this earth, the Spirit of God is striving with us, trying to make us one. Now here's the thing. God wants us to work in harmony with the Spirit. So he says in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. So God has established the unity of the Spirit. He has made that something that is dear to Him and something that He will send His Spirit into our lives. And as long as we are walking in the Spirit, we ought to be able to achieve this. How many of you know that often we don't walk in the Spirit? A lot of times we sin and fail. 
And sometimes our pride, especially our pride, gets in the way, doesn't it? We get, we get upset. Somebody says something. Well, I wonder what they meant by that. How come I'm not being used in that, that area of ministry? How come they didn't ask me to do that thing? And we, and we get our feelings hurt so quickly. And we need to be careful that we are not keeping the unity of the Spirit. And so we can rail against God by getting into our flesh and not walking in the Spirit. So let's look tonight at a couple of these things. And there's going to be uh, two things in particular. Number one, the Spirit working through others to strengthen the church. And so this is what this is about. About bringing the church together and strengthening the church and walking the Spirit. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. So the Spirit works four things right there in our lives. Now, we, we could go through the Word of God tonight, we could find all kinds of things. Last week we looked at Galatians chapter 5, and we talked about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, uh, against such there is no law. And we looked at those different things that are cultivated in the life of a believer because of the Spirit of God. But now in the context of the local church, all of those things are important. He said, I need you to think about these four. And here's what they are. Number one, lowliness. We call it humility. Lowliness is to prefer yourself below others. How many times in the Word of God do we see the phrase, think about this, just the phrase, one another. Love one another, consider one another, provoke one another unto good works. And on and on we could go and just talk about putting others first. The Bible says we are not to seek our own, but every man another's wealth. And so we are to put others first. And so that's, that's what lowliness is, and that's a, something that is cultivated by the Spirit of God. Now, if we put this in context with verse 3, he's saying we are to try to keep the unity of the Spirit. How do we do that? Number one, we need to be lowly. We need to be lowly. Making sure we're putting others first. Number two, look what he says next. So lowliness and meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Moses was both the meekest man on the face of the earth. That's what the Bible calls him and one of the world's greatest leaders you'll ever see. Led three million cranky Jews through the wilderness. Complained about everything, angry about everything. And yet he was able to lead them all the way to the promised land where he would die before entering. But there was a meekness about him. And so meekness was important because when we are meek, we're not striving. Now there are some things, when I say striving, there are some things that you come to mind, so well, aren't we to strive for certain things, earnestly contend for the faith? Yes, but we're not to strive with one another, not to be quarreling with one another. As much as I within you, uh, live peaceably with everyone. We're to live peaceably with one another. And so the meekness is the opposite of striving. And then notice what he says, with long-suffering. Long-suffering. You say, well, that's patience. It is, but there's a different take on long-suffering than just being patient. Long-suffering is able to come along somebody else who is suffering and to be able to bear their burden, to help them through that time, to be able to suffer long. And, and so you're able to put up, sometimes it's something that's even directed at you and you're, you're, you're dwelling. Sometimes you've got a spouse that's going through a, a medical issue and you're having to suffer along with them. And so you learn because of love and because of the Spirit of God to suffer long. But in the context of the local church, the Bible says we are to bear one another's burdens. We were just talking, Lorraine and I, before the service, it seems like 
Every week there's a funeral right now, and it just for the last couple months it's been one right after another, and maybe not just right here at the church, but family of church members and extended family, and it just seems like everybody is touched by this one, this right now, and I hope, I hope and I pray that as a church family we see that as an opportunity to encourage other people, to try to help them in some way, the very least pray for them, let them know that they're loved, and so we go through these things together, and then he says, well, uh, lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, and then forbearing one another in love. And so we, uh, forbearing one another in love means to endure. <laughs> you say, well, what does that mean? It means put up with one another. Sometimes that's not easy. I told you about my friend Paul, but it fits so well in this context. Paul had been divorced years and years ago and and he had this friend named uh, Judy that she also had gone through a bad marriage. And, and now, 30 years later, they were coming to our church and they'd become friends. And, and he would help her with things. He'd, you know, if she needed something fixed on her car, he'd fix it or he'd do whatever. And uh, she always wanted to get married. And he said no. But she treated him like garbage. I mean, just abused him. Absolutely abused him. And, uh, and I, I took him aside one day, and he's the sweetest spirited guy. And I said, Paul, I said, I'm concerned about you. I said, you just seem abused all the time, and these things that are being said to you are so unkind. And he says, Pastor, he says, I, I will never marry her. He says, she has her place, I have mine. And he says, and it's going to stay that way. He says, but I believe God has called me to be her friend. Because if I was not her friend, she wouldn't even have one. He says, so as long as God wants me to be her friend, I'll do it. I thought, wow. I remember sharing that from the pulpit one time and Pastor Uren was here and he came to me in tears after. And he says, we need more of that in our local churches. And he's right. They're willing to endure one another. I remember over the years, some hard people in church and being thankful that I saw other people in this room here tonight that would go and sit with them at a dinner. Even though they were hard to get along with or hard to listen to, they'd get angry or complain about everything, and yet folks went and sat with them. That's what this word means, that we are to uh, forbear one another, but how? In love. Why? Because of all these things, what we're trying to do. We're trying to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The apostle is saying, having peace in your local church is more important than your own agenda. It's more important than your own personal comfort. Yeah, I know you don't, that guy's not very kind, but this is more important that you go and you are kind to them. By the way, you want to talk about revenge? The Bible says when you do that, you keep coals upon their head. People like that don't like being, being kind too. So be kind one to another and love one another. Because we're trying to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Look what he says in verse 4. There is one. There is one. What is, what is the purpose of all these? Verse 3, that we might keep this unity. But how do we do that? Look down in verse 7 or verse 4. Therefore, there is one body and one Spirit. There's one Spirit. We ought to look like one, by the way. I'm not saying that we are cookie cutter by any means. But there ought to be a certain distinction about us that we are Christians. We look alike somehow. 
Um, I told you about my dad's best man. He just passed away a month or two ago. He was good friends with Brother Bob Stone as well. And, and uh, I, I remember meeting him when I was about 13 years old. And I didn't see him again until about 10 years ago. I just was in a restaurant in town and I saw him and I thought, boy, that looks like that guy I met years ago that was dad's best man. And I went over and I said hi to him and I said, hi, are you? And he said, yeah. And he says, are you Alan Ferry? I said, yeah. How would you know me from the time I was a 12-year-old boy? He says, because all you Furies look alike. He says, there's just something about a Fury I can tell. He grew up around Furies. Poor guy, eh? And I grew up around Furies and I, I kind of know what they look like. There ought to be something about you that says... I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. Because there's one spirit. There's only one, if you think about it in the sense of a physical body, there's only one pool of genes running through your veins. It's the very spirit of God that is within you. There's one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. He's saying there's some characteristics that are all the same about all of us. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. He said, but how do I do this? How do I keep this unity? Verse 7, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. If this is something God has purposed in our local church, God's going to give us grace to achieve it. He's going to enable us. So we just have to learn how to rely upon Him. I, I think you've learned this in other walks of life or other areas of life. When you're struggling with something, you've learned how to give it to the Lord and you've learned how to rely upon Him and He helps you through it. You ever, you ever lost your temper and then felt bad about it and then over time you've been able to curb that temper a little bit because you've been able to rely on the Lord and say... My spirit's not right. Trust in Him. Well, this is no different. This is something God's grace cultivates in our lives by His Spirit. Now, I want you to see the second thing. We're, we're talking about the Spirit of God and how He works in our lives to bring unity, but the Spirit also works through individuals to edify and strengthen the church. And so once we have this, this, this body that we are, as members, trying to, to, keep, uh, to walk, walk in the Holy Spirit of God, that we might keep that spirit of unity, he says, I'm also going to send along others that will help strengthen it as well. And so notice what he says in verse 8, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now the, that phrase, led captivity captive, was actually a victory shout from the Old Testament. And when a king won a great war and he regained some of his men that had been taken captive, he would shout all the way home. And the captives would shout. It was called being led captive. They were let free. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished for us when he died on the cross. He led captivity captive. He set some free uh, because of, uh, of the, the work of Calvary. But I want you to focus on another thing. It says he gave gifts unto men. Now, the Apostle Paul here does not give us all the gifts that he gives unto men. We could also turn to 1 Corinthians and we could look at the spiritual gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit to the local church and to the believers of the local church that are used to edify the church and to help the church. And so there's, But there's these gifts that are from almost without. So there, there's two. There's type clergy-type gifts and then there's laity-type gifts. And there tonight he lists the clergy-type gifts. Now look what it says. He that's descended, verse 10, in the same also that ascended up for above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, 
and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. So let's look back at verse 11. The Bible says he gave some gifts unto the church by his Spirit. All right? Now, I said there's two types. There's the clergy-type gifts and there's the lady-type gifts. This is the clergy-type gifts. And these are, the, if, if you will, for the building of the church, the building up of the church. So he says, I gave some apostles. We don't have apostles today. You'll remember that when uh, Judas went out and hanged himself, the Bible says the disciples were in the upper room. There was 120 gathered there. And for seven days they prayed. And in the midst of that time, Peter stood up and he said that we need to appoint somebody to take the place of Judas. And through the process of prayer, and they, they casted lots, and I don't understand all that sometimes, but they casted lots and they, they fell on one man. But one of the qualifications was it had to be somebody that accompanied them from the beginning. Somebody that had seen the risen Lord and met the risen Lord. And so Paul was sometimes criticized for being an apostle. But he says, yes, I'm an apostle, but I was born out of due time. But he said, I did meet the risen Lord. And you remember that Paul was called on the road to Damascus, and that's what qualified him, because he was witness of the resurrection, because he heard the voice of Christ and he met the risen Lord on the road to Damascus. That was a qualification of being an apostle. So either they accompanied with the disciples and they knew the words of Christ and they were witness to the resurrection or Paul, as one born out of due time, had witnessed the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus, but nobody living today has done that. And so we call this, I call this anyway, I call it scaffolding. When you're building something, you often put up scaffolding on the outside to, to help get the structure built and to get up high. If you go to Toronto, you'll see cranes all over the sky. And they are there, but once... The foundation is built, and once the building is secure, they can remove that scaffolding. And that's what apostles were. They were to lay the very foundation or the framework of the, of the church. And Christ used them uh, with miracles and signs and wonders to give great witness uh, to the things of the church. Now, uh, it was these same apostles that God imparted these special apostolic gifts. A lot of those gifts have gone and been done away with. The Bible says, tongues shall cease Miracles shall vanish away, and the word of knowledge. And so uh, we know that with the apostles, the apostolic era, those things died. But then we see, secondly, prophets. The Bible says in verse 11, he gave some apostles and some prophets. Now the prophets were those who expounded the writings of the Old Testament and told of things to come. So they had a twofold purpose. They would hear the prophets of the Old Testament, such as Elijah or Moses, would hear from God, and they would give it to the people. All right? That's what they do. They'd hear something from God, and they give it to the people. Sometimes it was prophetic in nature. It was talking of the future, such as Daniel or Zechariah. Or maybe it was just God giving them a word for that moment, giving them a command. You remember the Moses went up and down the Mount Sinai several times, and every time he went up, God said, go back down and tell the people this. Tell them not to gaze upon the mountain or try to see me or they'll surely die. Tell them not to even touch the mountain or they'll be shot through with an arrow. And he just gave them instructions. So sometimes it's present instruction for daily living. Other times it's telling the future. That's what the prophecy was. In the New Testament, we also have a spiritual gift called prophecy. But the difference is, is we receive from God and we give it to the people. 
we receive from God and give it to the people. It's the ministry of preaching and teaching is what the New Testament gift of prophecy is. But when the Bible says prophets, in this early church, we had prophets of the early church. If you will look in 1 Peter, you'll see the apostle Peter prophesied of the future. John wrote the entire book of Revelation. He prophesied of the future. So we had both prophets that would preach the word of God, as Peter did on the day of Pentecost, and we had prophets that told the future, as John the Revelator, Peter, uh, Jude, and others, that would give us a glimpse of the future. Do we have that today? Not in the sense of telling the future, we do not. Matter of fact, we are forbidden in the book of Revelation to add to the words of this prophecy. We are not to do that. God has given us everything. He says, God given us everything? No, he's given us everything he wants us to know. Uh, if, if You could not handle everything God knows. You wouldn't have room to receive it. But God has given us everything he wants us to know. And then the third thing we see is evangelists. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 6, the Bible talks about evangelists that traveled with the apostles. They were ordained men set apart for the ministry, but they did not pastor churches. What did they do? The word evangelist means one who evangelizes. It's that simple. I remember, as a matter of fact, at uh, your son-in-law's ordination, Frank Moore. And uh, he said he felt like he was called to be an evangelist. And I remember Lindsay Gatto saying to him, and folks here, some would know Lindsay Gatto because he was in our church. He said, um, he says, then go evangelize. For Lindsay, it just seems so simple. If you're going to be an evangelist, that's just one who goes and evangelizes, tells people about Jesus. And in and, and the very simple sense of the word, that's what they did. They accompanied Paul, we read in the, in the scriptures, and they would go into a town and they would help evangelize. You understand that when Paul, the Bible would say Paul and Silas or Paul and Barnabas, that wasn't the only two traveling. There was often many in their caravan that would go. They were the two that were planning the church. They were the two main preachers. and They were the ones that were organizing and writing things down, uh, uh, recording the book of Acts for us and such, with Luke as his companion. But there were many in those, those groups often, and they would go and they would evangelize an area and preach and teach the Word of God. How many times did we see that Paul would leave and leave others behind to continue helping until later a later time and so that's what an evangelist was so god has given us evangelists this weekend we'll have an evangelist in and uh, brother tony shirley is a pastor but he does a lot of evangelistic work as well he travels and preaches a lot and uh, it'll be a blessing to us but they the purpose of them is to help the local church and the number four pastors and teachers you'll notice there's no comma there he said in verse 11, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. In other words, those are one person with two different roles. The pastor is speaking about the shepherd of the flock, the one that leads. And then the teacher is the one who imparts the word of God. And, and so the important thing we understand, here's the thing. The more we subject ourselves to the teaching of the word of God, the less we need shepherding. Because we begin to grow in maturity and we begin to be perfected in the Word of God. And uh, it, it's funny, sometimes you'll, you'll get a new Christian, and, and I don't mind it at all, but they'll call and say, Pastor, I need advice on something. Can I come and meet with you? And I say, sure, come on in. And they'll come in and they'll say, uh, it could be something, so I, I don't know whether to wear uh, blue or brown this Sunday. What should I do? You know, it could be something small. I'm exaggerating, but something very small and insignificant, you know? And I had somebody call me one time and said, Pastor, I, 
I, I, I picked this young man up for church, and he just he's, um, he was 30 years old. He just immigrated from Kenya. He's so sad. He says, do you think it would be okay if I tried to help him? I don't know why you'd even ask that. I, my response was, it is never wrong to be kind. And they went, oh, that just sounds so simple. But then as we, as we mature in Christ, we just learn to take those things to the Lord. We ask the Lord, how do I help that person? What can I do? What can I afford? How can I do it without hurting my family? And we just mature in Christ. The more teaching we get, the less we need a shepherd. Now, we'll always need a pastor. I need a pastor. I need a shepherd. There's always things I call people about and get advice on and talk to and, and, and go back and forth with a little bit. But we, we ought to grow in maturity the more we are taught. And so it's important to be under God's Word. Now, here's, here's what's more important. I wanted to list those things. But notice what he says. He gave some apostles, he gave some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? Here's three things. For the perfecting of the saints. Perfecting means to be mature, to grow in completeness. And we read in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Eventually, there's a place of maturity and growth. We'll never be all the way there. I mean, I can't tell you how many times you read the exact same passage and God shows you something new every time. But we, we continue to grow and that we might be more mature and more perfect each and every day. So it says, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. Understand what is going on here. And here's, here's the point I'm trying to help us with tonight. God has given His Spirit to minister in all things in the church. That He might perfect us. He has sent evangelists. First of all, He sent apostles. He sent prophets that gave us his word. Then he sent evangelists to help evangelize the world. And, and, and you remember Titus and Timothy had to go back and organize those churches that were founded. And they grew. And now he says, and then he says to Timothy and Titus, put in pastors and teachers. We have to have a daily sustaining in these churches and we have to help them grow. There was a process. But he says the Spirit has done all of that for the perfecting of the saints to help this church be unified, help it to grow. Uh, so for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Here's what reading this helps me understand, how important the local church is to Jesus Christ. Because this is all within the framework of the church. You say, well, I don't, I don't see that. Well, wait a minute. You're not a pastor if you don't have a church. He gave pastors and teachers. There's no such thing as a freelance pastor. A pastor belongs to a congregation. If you read 1 Timothy and you read Titus, you will find that they were going to the local churches and ordain elders, pastors and teachers, and put them in place. An evangelist is there to minister to the local church. If we can look back in the book of Acts, and we don't have the time to do it tonight, you will find this pattern comes right out of the book of Acts. It started with the apostles. Peter and Paul went out and preached the gospel all over the place. The other apostles went out all over the world, all over the world and spread the gospel. Behind them were entourages of evangelists that helped help them in their work and helped evangelize the people. And then we, re, we were reminded 
or sorry, the prophets also gave us the word of God. And some of those prophets were also those early apostles. And then we had the evangelists who went through and evangelized. And then we had Titus and Timothy going back and saying, now i got to put pastors in all these local churches. We've got to help grow them. It was a process. It all revolved around the local church. But the Spirit of God says, I want unity in my church. So how do we do that? We stay in the Word of God, and we grow, and we walk in the Spirit of God. He said, how long do we do it? Verse 13 says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now some of you ladies may think you've got the perfect man. I don't, I don't know, not too many raising their hand. Of course, that's not what that means. But when we compare it to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, are we actually there? I think we all sometimes get on our high horse and go, well, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good spiritually. But when you, when you make that comparison to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, I think we all say, I, I got some more growing to do. I'm not quite there. I've got a long way to go, maybe. So as we look at the Word of God and understand God's desire for His Spirit to work through our local churches to bring unity, we are to strive for that unity. How? By being lowly and meek and long-suffering and forbearing one another, showing love to one another. The Spirit of God cultivates those in our lives. And then he says the Spirit of God also sends these workers to help strengthen those very attributes, that we might grow in unity, that we might grow in the stature and fullness of Christ unto a perfect man. If we're not there yet, we ought to just keep getting into the Word of God, keep coming to hearing preaching, keep going to Bible studies, whatever it takes, that we might grow in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. All right, we'll stop there for tonight. And I'm going to do one more on the Spirit of God about the, about the, um, the spiritual gifts for, for everybody. We all have a spiritual gift. The day you got saved, you got a birthday gift from God. And uh, we're going to look at those next. I, I just felt like the... The lesson on the Spirit of God kind of left some of those things out. And, and maybe to look at them later on a little bit, but I wanted to look at them as we're on the context of the Holy Spirit. So we'll look at those next time, all right? Let's uh, break up into prayer groups. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll break up into our prayer groups. You pray as long as you like. Father, commit your word unto our hearts tonight. Help us to grow in the Spirit of God. Lord, help us to have a united church, a united church family, loving one another, preferring one another. And Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you Friday night.